0: Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. It was 1036 BC in the United Kingdom of Israel. King Saul and a small force of Israelite militiamen was camped near Michmash. You might ask, well, what were they doing there? The answer is very simple. You see, the Philistines had come up with an enormous army to conquer this nation of Israel. Saul was naturally very, very afraid, as were the other Israelites. But they were waiting for something. There was a period of inaction. And you can only imagine how that inaction played on the nerves of Saul and his men. As they waited, desertion started to take over. First one man, then another. And then it seemed like his army was just melting away. Day after day, they would get up in the morning and there were less men in the camp. Well, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the arrival of the priest and prophet Samuel to come and offer sacrifice to God. And Samuel wasn't coming. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 8 that he, Saul, waited for seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring here the burnt offering to me and peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. Now you might think, well, that's no big deal. What's stopping Saul from offering the burnt offering? Well, the Bible goes on and says, of course, you know, as we would expect as soon as Saul had done this, guess who turns up? Samuel turns up and Samuel says, what did you do? And we would think to ourselves, well, you know, King Saul, he did a very righteous thing. He's offering a burnt offering. Why wouldn't he do this? Samuel goes on and Samuel says in verse 13, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom upon Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has found him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. What was the problem here? What would hold you back from offering an offering? Why wasn't Saul supposed to do so? And why was that only Samuel's prerogative to offer that offering? We're going to look a bit further and we're going to investigate a little bit more into this subject. Let's move down in time now to 751 BC. This time we find ourselves in the independent kingdom of Judah. Our story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and we begin in verse 16. The Bible says that when he, that is King Uzziah, was strong, his heart, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. The Bible talks about King Uzziah as a good king. And here you find King Uzziah worshipping God. You would think once again, this is a good thing for the king to be worshipping God and to be offering incense at this particular point in the temple of God. The Bible says that Azariah the priest went in after him and with him 80 other priests of the Lord that were brave men and they withstood Uzziah. That's, that's a bold thing to do when Uzziah is the king of the nation. It doesn't belong to you, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed. Neither shall it be for your honor from the Lord your God. Then Uzziah was angry. You know, the censor in his hand, the Bible says that he got rather upset about the priests telling him what he could and he could not do. You see, he's the king of Israel. He's sovereign ruler. Can't he do whatever he wants? Can't he go in and offer incense in the temple of God? While he was angry with the priests, the Bible says, leprosy rose up on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they threw him out from there. Yes, he hurried also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. The Bible says, And Isaiah was a leper until the day of his death. Many, many years later. What is the problem here? What is the lesson that God is trying to teach in these two circumstances? Well, very simply, The lesson here is that separation needs to exist between church and state, religion and politics. When the ancient constitution of the nation of Israel was written, there was position for a king. There was allowances for that political leader. But there was also the positions that were to be held by the priests. And these two were not to overlap with each other. One was a political position, the other was a religious position, and God made those two positions separate when He established a nation. Now, if we come down to Revelation chapter 13, we've been looking at the United States in Bible prophecy. Let's go over there and let's see what is taking place right down here at the end of time in Revelation 13. What does the Bible say will be taking place in the United States? Because we know that separation of church and state has been central to the United States. In verse 13, the Bible says that He does great wonders so that He makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men and deceives those that live on the earth by the means of those miracles which He had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to those that live on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and lived. So when we look at these passages right here, we find exactly what the United States is going to do and is doing right now. And that is making an image to the beast, an image to the church of the dark ages, a carbon copy, if you like. The Church of the Dark Ages was, by definition, a union of church and state. And it remains so. The Vatican is entirely its own country with its own passports, postal service, police force, army, a government called the Holy See, a judicial system called the Inquisition, etc. It receives ambassadors from every important nation on earth. Now, no other church receives ambassadors. It is able to do this because it is not just a church but also a country, a micro-nation, but also a superpower. It was the union of church and state that led to the tremendous persecution of religious minorities during the Dark Ages, that was finally brought to an end in 1798 by Napoleon abolishing the papal government. The Vatican Inquisition was one of the primary means by which the persecution and the death penalty in particular were used to take millions of lives, and torture was the primary means by which confessions of heresy were achieved. As we have learned, the United States was determined never to allow an environment in which the Inquisition could ever exist. By looking at the dominant power across the Atlantic, they were able to form a constitution that guaranteed separation of church and state, freedom of religion, and outlawed any form of coercion and torture. This, of course, was anathema to the Vatican, as it was the very opposite of their dogma. And in 1864, Pope Pius IX published a syllabus of errors, with several of them specifically targeting the United States Constitution. Pope Pius IX stated that it was an error that every man is free to embrace or profess that religion which guided by the light of reason he shall consider true. He went on to say, it was an error that the church has no power of force, nor has she any temporal power, direct or indirect. Then in 1899, Pope Leo XIII named a heresy after the United States Constitution, and finally in 1903, he wrote an entire encyclical against the United States Constitution. He stated, "Let us examine that liberty in individuals which is so opposed to the virtue of religion. Name the liberty of, namely, the liberty of worship, as it is called. This is based on the principle that every man is free to profess as he may choose any religion or none." a liberty such as we have described is no liberty but degradation. These actions started a process that caused the United States to break all diplomatic ties with the Vatican and created an environment in which those entrusted with interpreting the Constitution in the United States, the Supreme Court justices, were as typically anti-Vatican aligned as possible. Now the Bible describes the United States forming an image and an image is a copy and to form a copy of the papal system the United States must repudiate its own constitution. What few realize is that in the United States the most powerful level of government is the Supreme Court. Congress and the President can make any law that they want, but it is the nine unelected Supreme Court justices that get to choose how those laws are interpreted. In the last 40 years the Supreme Court has been systematically dismantling those aspects of the United States Constitution that separate it from being an inquisitional system of justice. As far back as the early 1980s, keen observers were seeing the trajectory and commenting on the growing dangers. The Religious News Service in 1983 stated, The U.S. Supreme Court has fundamentally changed the ground rules separating church and state. In a term marked by one blockbuster decision after another, the U.S. Supreme Court has altered lines of demarcation between church and state in the United States. By 1990, one Supreme Court Justice, William Rehnquist, was confident enough to go on record stating, The wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history a metaphor which has proved useless as a guide to judging, it should be frankly and explicitly abandoned. By 2002, leading evangelicals were coming out of the closet to demand an end to the separation of church and state. In the Road to Victory rally that year, one reporter reported that, Many of the speakers railed against the separation of church and state. Joyce Meyer summed up the sentiment, stating, Separation of church and state is a deception of Satan. The Benny Hinn Show, in a statement that could almost be taken directly from the warning in Revelation 13, said, I will tear down this separation between church and state. I will use miracles to do it. We read that in the Bible a moment ago. In recent years, we have had an avalanche of cases where religious liberty has been trampled on. For example, there is the case of Kim Davis, Rowan County clerk, who refused to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples based on her religious convictions and was imprisoned for her faith. Presidential candidate Mike Huckabee described it as the criminalization of Christianity and Ted Cruz styled it as judicial, judicial tyranny, pointing out that she was in prison for no other reason than for her faith. In 2017, Donald Trump came to power promising to abolish the Johnson Amendment, a key piece of legislation guaranteeing separation of church and state. He did so by executive order just five months after coming to power. Now we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic and religious liberties, along with the right for a person to worship according to their conscience, have been trampled on in every state. You see, whether it is right or wrong to not gather for worship is immaterial to the right to be able to do so, which is afforded by the United States Constitution. Many would argue that this is the cost of freedom. Covid has become a crisis that has been used to set precedences to strip away religious liberties that will never be returned. At the same time that all of this was beginning uh, to gain momentum back in the 1990s, torture the primary tool of the Inquisition, was being si- systematically reintroduced to the American system. No longer was there a right to silence. Chief Justice Byron White recognized it for exactly what it was when he said, permitting a coerced confession, which could be part of evidence on which a jury is free to base its, guilty, its verdict of guilty, is incompatible with the thesis that ours is not an inquisitional system of criminal justice. Did you catch the language? An inquisitional system of justice. This Chief Justice stated that an image to the Vatican had been formed in the United States. And of course, by the time the war on terror arrived, torture had become routine in places like Guantanamo Bay. Throughout this time, of course, it is instructive to look at where the United States has focused its attention at the international level. The greatest historical enemies of the Vatican are Islam, the Orthodox Church, the Protestantism and Communism. Throughout the 1260 years of the Dark Ages, historians estimate that 120 to 150 million people lost their lives from amongst these faith groups at the hands of the Vatican, of course, except for Communism. Since the 6th century, Islam has been a constant thorn in the side of the Vatican and the Orthodox Church since the 11th century. Protestantism rose in the 16th century to protest against the government of the Church in Rome. The Bolsheviks received funding from the Vatican as they were seen as a means to bring an end to the Orthodox Church until they were bought out by the Patriarch of Moscow and double-crossed the Vatican. Starting with the Vietnam War, every conflict that the United States has involved itself in has been a religious war, and every war has focused on the traditional enemies of the Vatican, with the exception of Protestantism. You see, it seems that the Protestants in the United States have moved away from protesting and taken up the project of creating a copy or image of the Vatican. Now let's move on and look at what has been happening with the makeup of the Supreme Court. Has the United States been forming a copy of the Vatican at its most powerful level of government? Because the inquisitional system of the Vatican was the direct opposite of the United States Constitution, Americans used to be all about protecting their Constitution, they were extremely reticent to appoint Roman Catholic justi- judges, Justices to the Supreme Court. Since independence, there have been 216 Supreme Court Justices. Only 14 have been Roman Catholic. But what is significant is that in the last 10 years, there has not been a single Protestant on the Supreme Court. The newest member put forward by Donald Trump, Amy Coney Barrett, is possibly the most devout. She's a professor of law at the Roman Catholic Notre Dame University, the largest privately owned university in the United States. She formerly worked for Chief Justice Antonin Scalia, who, while a Supreme Court justice, stated, when religious rights clash with the government's need for uniform rules, the court will side with the government. Religious adherents need to look to the political system, not to the courts for protection. Think about that for a moment. The purpose for a constitution is to limit the power of the government and protect the rights of the minorities. The government never needs protection due to the fact that it is the majority. Scalia, in effect, stated that people of faith must form a majority and elect a government to receive any level of protection. If they happen to be a minority, then they have no legal protection whatsoever at all. This is what we call, very simply, mob rule and it was mob rule that signalled the end of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire. As the United States reforms itself into a copy of medieval Europe, it is moving away from being a republic and forming an empire system of government. Reporting on the actions of Scalia, The Washington Post stated, the problem with the Smith decision is that the United States Supreme Court has gutted the free exercise of the First Amendment. The LA Times went on to say the Supreme Court today forcefully declared that it would no longer protect believers. If we go to John chapter 6, just the Gospel of John chapter 6, let's turn over there very quickly and see what Jesus had to say because we find a form and a system of government vastly different from the governments that we see here on this earth. John chapter 6, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with Jesus. Did you catch that? Here Jesus is being, di- de- being deserted by his followers. Then said Jesus to the twelve, Will you also go away? Of course, Peter answered. Peter always kind of answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Have not I chosen you twelve and one is a devil? But he spoke of Judas Iscariot. You know, when you put this whole story together, did Jesus use force to coerce his followers to follow him? Did he say, this is the only religion where there is any kind of salvation. Therefore, this is the religion that you must be a part of. No, Jesus was totally against any kind of force. And even within the 12, that stayed with him right to the end. The whole time he knew that Judas was there. And that whole time he could have done something about that. He's God. He's sovereign ruler of the universe. He could act in relationship to Judas. But that entire time, he was appealing to Judas right down to the very end. He was saying, Judas, I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. And the fact that I know what you're thinking should tell you who I am and that what you are doing is wrong. Jesus was appealing to him. He wasn't driving him away. He knew that Judas would betray Him. When we go a little bit further on in the Gospel of John, let's go to John chapter 18 now. John chapter 18. And I want you to notice once again, Jesus' attitude towards these particular issues. John chapter 18 and verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this world. I want you to notice the principle that Jesus is is establishing here. Jesus did not come to this world to build an earthly kingdom. He came to this world to establish the religion of Christianity, a religion of peace and harmony and happiness, a religion of love where there is no force and there is no coercion. And because he came to establish a religion, he did not involve himself in issues of state. He did not come to this world to set up a kingdom, to become a king, if he had have done, as he pointed out right here. He would have sent his servants out to fight. That was kind of what the Jews were expecting. That he would raise an army and that he would establish the Jewish empire to rule gloriously over all of the world. But Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm about. I am here to bring you to God. The politics and the political situation leave that separate from what I am doing. Jesus is establishing very, very clearly the separation of church and state. This is a principle that has existed in the Bible from its very beginning and exists right down to its very end. And that is why the Bible is so intent on warning us about what is going to take place in the future. Warning us that an image will be formed, a copy of the system that ruled during the Dark Ages. We look back at the Dark Ages, the medieval period, the Middle Ages, whatever you want to call it. And we say, you know, that could never return to this world. Our world is far too advanced and civilized for that. But no historian will agree with you because all historians know that history is cyclical. It goes around. And what has been here in the past will be here in the future. In Revelation chapter 13, the Bible says some significant things. Revelation 13. The Bible says he had power to give life to the image of the beast, at the image of the beast, this is the copy of the medieval system, would both speak and force, notice that word right there, as many as would not worship the image to be killed. Now I agree with Amy, Coney, Barrett, that is a bad thing to have the death penalty. That's my view. But here we find at the very end of time that the death penalty comes back. And where does it come back for? It comes back against people of faith, people who are following Jesus Christ, who are being forced to worship in a way that is not according to their conscience. Revelation chapter 3. Once again, we see the attitude of Jesus to people. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, this is Jesus speaking. If anyone hears my voice, And opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. Is Jesus coming to that door, breaking the door down, chaining up the inhabitants, dragging them off and placing them in church and saying, You must worship me? No, that's not what Jesus is doing and that's not what Jesus will ever do. The Bible says he comes to the door of your heart and he knocks. The decision is entirely yours. He will never force you. If you want to open the door, that's up to you. The power to open that door has been given to you by Jesus dying on the cross. Are you going to use that power or not? Will you give your life to Jesus today? The Bible says that Jesus wants to do more than just come in. It says he wants to come in and he wants to eat with you. Why, why does the Bible say that? Shouldn't we just talk, be talking about morality? The answer is very simple, friends. Jesus wants more than just your decision to serve Him. When we share food as human beings, we draw close together. You can go to any nation on the earth. You can go to any race or group or language or wherever. When people want to draw close together in a close personal relationship, they do that over food. They share food together. Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship with you and He wants to have it with you today. Won't you give your life to Him? For video of this series, visit our website at then.digital or find us on social media.